the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Ted, Joshua, Don, and Jacob, bless you and thank you. I, I, wonder, I wonder both the musicians and, and those who've gathered, did you hear there's a radio piece before Mariupol fell? There was a radio piece of a, a, a soul jazz trumpeter who was playing there in the basement of the steel factory, you know, as just as the uh, just this incredible darkness was descending. But there was this sort of ray of hope. And I feel that when I hear y'all play. I feel that. I think of that this in a hospice room as well. The, the, the one who is there in her or his last days, breathing their last and they might have the, their favorite bit of music from their life playing to usher them from this moment to the next. Light in the darkness. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. You know, uh, one could ask the question. It would be a fair one. What, what, shall, what shall we treat, treat, preach about tonight? Will, will we preach on childbirth and abortion? Do you preach on democracy and the rule of law, maybe on the sanctity of life, or, or the harsh disparity that comes from income inequality when sorting any court of social ill? I'm not going to begin there tonight. I do not, however, want you to be uninformed. The church has a statement on the matter of abortion. And I've made copies of that tonight. It's on the piano, not the piano, on the, the, the there's a little stand by the door over here. And as you leave, I encourage you to pick up. It's an eight and a half by 11 sheet, a little bit on both sides. And it speaks to where the Episcopal Church, as it gathers its bishops and representatives from each diocese, have spoken uh, over the years. You will bring the headlines of your life, your pain, your struggle, your dis-ease, your sickness, your pathologies. I pray you will bring them all this evening before the throne of God. But this assembly, as we move forward in these moments, will stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before and Christians who've celebrated the Eucharist while at war or while governments were in transition or while persecuted or oppressed or under totalitarian regimes after natural disasters and tragedies too numerous and too unthinkable to name, this assembly will do as those Christians have done and pray for the life of the world, pray for its healing, pray for the coming kingdom of God and that work begins with the gospel at hand. So a brief preface before coming to the gospel. Uh, an example from the kitchen. In an ideal world, you start with a steel mixing bowl that's been in the freezer for 30 minutes or more. For that matter, if you really want to be fussy about it, your whisk and your blender beaters will have been in the freezer for a while as well. You get your ingredients ready, two cups of heavy cream, one tablespoon of confectioner's sugar, maybe just maybe depending on your mood, a couple of drops of vanilla extract. You've prepared your berries, maybe your pound cake ahead of time, all good. And then you have that. I prefer using a whisk. It, it's hard to overbeat the cream with a whisk. 
And that's where you can go wrong. You don't beat it enough or, or long enough and, and the cream is too runny. Beat it too long and it not only starts to stand up like butter, it starts to taste like butter too. Ne never good. All my life I've experienced this garnish as the one that certifies the arrival of summer. Farm to table was a thing I, I had as a little boy before me. Milk delivery came from the local dairy. We'd leave the front door open. He'd walk right in the house, leave the milk cream or butter there in the fridge. Berries would be picked from Mr. Simonson's patch. And the only hiccup in the farm to table supply chain would be the few to several dozen strawberries that had landed in our mouths before we had gotten back in the car. We'd wash them, trim them, You'd watch the, the velvet cream be whipped, and then heaven. You know, just, just absolute heaven. Now, on a very rare occasion, this can be duplicated outside your own kitchen in a restaurant. But I say stay away from those that list the garnish as anything other than whipped cream. Whipped cream won't get it. It's, just, it's not just bad grammar, it's hiding something. And you already know to stay away from the menus that list Cool Whip or some other dairy product substitute, and certainly those dessert bars where what would pass for whipped cream stands up at the end of the counter like fresh insulation. <laughs> the quality and thrill of one's whipped cream is always worth the extra time. And in an ideal world, you'd never skip the metal bowl part in the freezer. In an ideal world, a restaurant might stake its reputation on the quality of its whipped cream. Good cream can redeem berries that were picked too long ago, but a sorry excuse for cream will always ruin the pound cake. Whipped cream, all the way, full strength. Don't start with the half and half or with the fat free. Let's go all the way. Now, I want to believe the gospel lesson seems to echo this sentiment for us this evening. It reads, as they were going along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answers, foxes have holes and birds their nests, but the Son of God know where to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But, but the one replied, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, Leave the dead to bury their dead. You must go and announce the kingdom of God. And yet another. I will follow you, sir, but, but first let me say goodbye to my people at home. To him, Jesus said, no one who sets his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Each of the individuals encountered here by Jesus are initially painted as people who want full strength. They want life undiluted all the way. I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you. Just let me bury my friend. I'll follow you. Just let me say goodbye to mom and dad. But what they didn't anticipate was a certain in-your-face element to the undiluted, full-strength life Jesus offered. The picture Jesus paints of kingdom living moves from vivid to almost harsh, blunt, reality-based call to discipleship. In saying that foxes have holes, the birds their nests, but the Son of Man nowhere to lay his head, Jesus not only warns that, the announce, that announcing the kingdom of God 
as a full-time vocation can be a lonely life, leaving one uncomfortable, homeless, rootless, with all the trials of Job and very little control over anything, he also cautions his followers that there'll be certain hazards experienced by association. I find this com completely intriguing. There's an apocryphal book. It's read from by Anglicans, Episcopalians, Roman Catholics, and the Eastern Orthodox. Every now and then, uh, an apocryphal reading pops up in a Methodist lectionary. But the book of Sirach has a quote that goes like this, for, for who will trust a well-equipped robber who travels from city to city? Who will trust a man who has no nest and who lodges wherever he falls? Surely Jesus has that passage in mind when he says this. He knows that living in the wind, living by the Spirit, Moving with God from night watch to night watch will only arouse the suspicion of the world, but he does it anyway. Better not to be compromised by safety or cover or job security or comfort or the promise of retirement. The Son of Man will have no place to lay his head, so too his disciples. And, and declaring that the dead will be left to bury their dead, he, he lets his disciples know that the kingdom of God will not sanctify, hallow, or glorify death, nor empower it with divine mystery. Death in and for the kingdom of God is simply another among the many transitions the disciple is required to experience. It's not the end. It is not beyond comprehension. It requires no final goodbye. In announcing that, listen well, in announcing that even familial farewells will not be part of kingdom living, his preaching takes a decidedly countercultural term, perhaps especially in light of this week's legal decisions. The temptation to exalt family values or national values, whether from the left or right, is challenged by this saying of Jesus. This is a place where many of you might be happy to cheat just a little bit on the full strength, all-in recipe. But Jesus says, you want to follow me? Look at what it will cost you. Look at the control you will have to give up. Now I think, I think most, most are moving along well. They, 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 they have that initial desire for a life lived to its fullest. But when we encounter kingdom living full strength as detailed by Jesus, we begin to falter and wonder is this truly the life we desire? Amplify that faltering certainty. We'll say a prayer. Amplify that faltering certainty by the culture's parsing of abundant life according to GDP forecast. 
poverty statistics, inflation, rising interest rates, and net national saving rates, and suddenly the artificially sweetened, artificially colored insulation at the end of the dessert bar begins to look rather appealing. Sitting with a friend a couple of weeks back in a coffee shop talking about just life in general and noting the, the number of near reckless, seemingly without a safety net, decisions that our parents had taken in their lives, both to pursue their dreams and at times to pursue the gospel. I remain astonished by the sacrifices and chances my parents took. And as I sat there in the coffee shop, I was convicted by their faith an absolute trust that wherever God called them, they went. No looking back, no clinging to place or history or even family for its own sake. I wondered over that cup of coffee if I had lived, if I will yet live with that kind of abandon economically, emotionally, geographically, spiritually. If I choose to follow Jesus, then sacrifice and abandonment to God must be the order of the day. Foxes have holes, birds nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Kingdom living will accept nothing less than this. T.S. Eliot, just a very short phrase, T.S. Eliot writes in his choruses from the rock these words. Our age is an age of moderate virtue and of moderate vice when men will not lay down the cross because they never will assume it. Your walk with Jesus is a dangerous walk. It can and will threaten your relationship with friends, with spouse, with extended family, co-workers and culture. Believing in and following Jesus, it can never be half-hearted, provisional, conditional. Believing in and following Jesus, it's difficult, daring, dashing. Let it not be said of us that we were a people of moderate virtue, a people of moderate vice, who would not lay down the cross of Christ because we never took it up. No, rejoice in the challenge that Christ puts before you. Live with abandon. Give yourself to sacrifice and faith. Stand firm and refuse to be enslaved by culture, convenience, apathy, and material gain. Indeed, seek kingdom living at full strength, all in, undiluted, no matter the cost. For it's the face of Jesus you must seek and the passion he holds out for you and for the whole world. Amen. Amen.